You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. I feel like who art Ed? Who art Ed? Mr. Wood <laughs> art Ed me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to great start. Welcome to Who Arted Weekly Art History for All Ages. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and today we're looking at Hokusai. Now, before I get started, I just want to take a moment to mark a milestone of sorts. This episode is number 400 going into the feed. To be fair, a number of those have been reruns, but between Who Arted, Art Smart, and my son's podcast, Rainbow Puppy Science Lab, I've now made a few hundred podcast episodes, and I appreciate all of you who have joined me on this journey. I want to say a sincere thank you to everyone who has taken time to send me a nice email, given a kind rating or review, told a friend about the show, or just listened. I know there are literally millions of other podcasts out there. I feel honored and grateful that you would choose to spend a little bit of your day listening to my show. Now, without further ado, I wanted to mark this occasion by re-recording and expanding on one of my most popular episodes. So here's a little more on Katsushika Hokusai and the Great Wave off of Kanagawa. Hokusai was born October or November of 1760. He was born in Edo, Japan. Uh, Edo, of course, now being Tokyo, Japan. His name in childhood was Takitaro. It was fairly common for artists to adopt different names throughout their careers. He started writing and painting at the age of six, and by the time he was a teenager, he was showing quite a bit of promise as an artist. At 14, he apprenticed as a woodcarver for woodblock prints. Now, for those unfamiliar, woodblock printing is basically using a block of wood as a stamp. An artist would draw an image, then the drawing would be placed face down onto the block of wood. A transfer would be created, gluing the drawing onto the block. The original drawing would be destroyed as the paper was wet and peeled away, but the ink would remain on the block. From there, a wood carver would get to work carving away to leave the design in raised relief. Ink would be run over the top of the block, then paper pressed down onto the surface. They didn't use a printing press. People would rub on the back of the paper to make sure every inch of the surface was pressed to the block. For a black and white image, a single block could be used, but for multicolored prints, skilled artisans would have to carve a separate block for each color. Sometimes they would be using like 10 different blocks of wood, all carved into corresponding shapes, 
And to get all of that stuff to align within the print, they would use registration, little marks on the paper to help it line up with the stamps. It's difficult work requiring great skill, but also patience and attention to detail. Hokusai spent four years learning the printmaking process as a carver before he joined the studio of Katsukawa Shunsho. During the UKOE period, prints were not really considered a high art. UKOE was images of the floating world. It was sort of meant to be decorative, serene, often focusing on like the pleasures of earthly life. It was a commercial gig making posters for the new middle class. In 1779, Hokusai was going by the name Shunro as he made his first prints of kabuki actors. It was fairly common for up-and-coming artists to adopt a name based off of the name of the artist who was training them. Over his lifetime, Katsushika Hokusai adopted about 30 different names. An interesting little side note, Hokusai's daughter learned from him, assisting him in his studio as she grew up, and she became an artist herself. She adopted the name Katsushika Oi as a nod to her father. Oi was a word just said to get people's attention. It would basically be like calling, hey you. And Hokusai would playfully call out to his daughter saying, oi. And then she adopted that as her name. Now, in those early days, Hokusai focused a lot on celebrities from the kabuki theater. Over his career, Hokusai made fine art prints, but also books, trading cards, puzzles. Some of his prints were even used as packaging for snacks, but that would come later. In 1793, Shunsho died and another artist took over the school. Hokusai began studying Western art when he could get his hands on French and Dutch copper engravings. While Japan was a secluded nation closed off from the rest of the world at the time, they still had some trade with the Dutch and the Chinese. It's not exactly clear why. Some say because of his studies at a rival school. Some others have theorized maybe there was some professional jealousy, but Hokusai was kicked out of the Katsukawa school. He would later say, quote, What really motivated the development of my artistic style was the embarrassment I suffered at Shunko's hands, end quote. Shunko being the artist who had taken over the studio after Shunsho died. Now, this is the point where he starts to move away from figurative work like actors and more towards landscapes. Although, as I said, he did tackle all sorts of subjects. Over his decades-long career, Hokusai made about 30,000 artworks. Interestingly, in 1811, he published Hokusai Manga. Manga is, of course, very popular today, but hokusai's is one of the earliest documented uses of the term, which would translate to something like random drawings. Hokusai printed a collection of amusing images for his students and others to copy and practice drawing. It was a huge hit at the time, and while the style we associate with manga today is very different from hokusai manga, he would appear to be one of the earliest practitioners of the form. I also find it interesting because I think of manga as something for younger people, but he was about 50 years old when he did that. At the age when many are starting to eye retirement, Hokusai was just getting started. He wrote, quote, When I'm 80, you'll see real progress. At 90, I shall have cut deeply into the mystery of life itself. At 100, I shall be a marvelous artist. 
At 110, everything I create, a dot, a line, will jump to life like never before, end quote. For Hokusai, art was not a means of making a living. It was his reason for living. Despite his best intentions, he did not make it to 110. He would pass away at 88, and on his deathbed, some of his last words were wishing that he could have a few more years to paint. It was an obsession for him, as is evidenced by his adoption of the name Gekyo Rojin Manji, which translates to old man mad about art. He was a colorful figure, and he appears to have always wanted to do more. He's remembered today for his series 36 Views of Mount Fuji, but even in that famous series, he wanted to do more. The name would lead you to believe there are 36 views, but it was so popular, he actually made 10 more images, so... Oddly enough, 36 views of Mount Fuji ended up with 46 views of Mount Fuji. Among those views was the piece that would go on to become his most famous, The Great Wave off Kanagawa. Many see this as a quintessential Japanese piece. At first glance, it's almost serene as the mountain stands in the background. The mountain, of course, is Mount Fuji, the highest peak in Japan, and the subject of this work and the entire series. In the foreground, though, we see massive waves crashing. The waves are towering over some poor fishermen in their boats. The perspective, with Mount Fuji tiny in the distance, makes the waves in the foreground appear to tower over the mountain itself. There's a sort of tension there that many see as metaphorical for what was happening in Japan in the 19th century as this work was created. Japan had been closed off for 200 years. It was largely happy and prosperous in its seclusion, but the outside world was coming with tremendous force and energy that could be exciting but also threatening. The piece shows a dichotomy, not only with the tranquil mountains standing amid the turbulent waves, but also it's the traditional Japanese woodcut printed with Prussian blue, an import often referred to as Berlin blue at the time. Blue had long been a notoriously difficult and expensive pigment to get. Prussian blue was a synthetic pigment developed in a lab and mass-produced. When it came to Japan, likely through their limited trade with China, people loved it. It was not only a beautiful blue, but it held up well over time, and many artists, including Hokusai, created monochromatic prints in shades of blue to capitalize on the popularity of the imported color. Still, as much as I love a good blue and I could nerd out about all the elements within this work and how they're arranged, I think it's the ideas and the tension that makes this piece so amazing. Hokusai doesn't give us the wave crashing onto the boats. He shows us the wave towering over them. It's the potential energy. We all know those fishermen are in a precarious situation, but the great wave gives us the dramatic moment when the wave is at its peak, leaving us to anticipate what's going to come next. It's this unstoppable frenzied force of nature juxtaposed with Mount Fuji, Japan's highest peak and a sacred site in the traditional Shinto religion. It sits off in the distance, steady and serene, no matter what is happening in the world around it. At its core, this piece is all about dualities. From a distance, the horizon line divides the picture like a yin-yang symbol, and even as I look more closely, I keep seeing more details hinting at this balance of oppositions. 
The peril and the promise, the active wave and the passive mountain, the ephemeral fisherman and the eternal forces of nature. We see it all laid out with graceful movement and a perfect balance. It may be a quintessential Japanese piece rooted in the island nation's history and traditions, but its themes feel timeless and universal. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.